Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Thank you so much for listening today to episode number 27 of the Delve Into Money podcast. Today, we're going to talk about goals. A new year is upon us, which means new goals and resolutions are being set all the time. So today, I wanted to talk about a goals framework and then give you some ideas for financial goals that you could set. Don't let 2022 be just every other year where your goals never made it out of January. Let's make 2022 a special year for goal setting. In 2020, only 38% of adults in the U.S. had specific financial goals, according to research from the Lincoln Financial Group. If you're thinking about setting goals, great job. You're already ahead of the majority of Americans. Goals are extremely important. They help you break down intimidating things that you can't accomplish immediately and create the steps for you to reach them. I knew this idea that I wasn't a runner was a self-limiting belief. First, I used a friend as motivation. We pushed each other, but there was no end or goal in sight. So that did not last super long. So to keep myself motivated, I signed up for a 5K. One 5K turned into another, then another, then a 10K, then a half marathon, and then a Tough mutter, then an attempted marathon. This did not happen over the course of a week or a weekend. This happened over the course of a few years. I never got to complete the marathon despite training for it twice, uh, both uh, times because of non-running injuries, I might add, one being a car accident and another uh, sickness brought on by the Tough mutter. But in both cases, I did the full training regimen. So I got all the work in without any of the payoff, which is great, right? That's, that's what we're always trying to do. We, we try and do the work and then we say, ah, I don't need the payoff. But the reality is it was still a great experience for me. When training for a marathon, the training is culminated by a 20-mile run a few weeks out from the event. A full marathon is 26.2 miles, by the way, and I'll come back to that later. When you go out and run for the first time, no one, and I mean literally no one in the whole world, could go out and run 20 miles on their first time out. So to run 20 miles, you have to prepare. Depending on your level of training, your training can last from four to six months. It's something that will absolutely take over your life and absolutely took over my life for those periods when I was training for it. On week one, you start with short distances, human distances, distances you'd see an average runner running. You're getting your legs used to running, but slowly you increase that mileage. Each week, you intermix short runs, long runs, and cross training. Each week, you do a little bit more. Every time, you're fighting doubt on whether you can do it or not, but then you somehow do. And I'm not kidding when I say it will take over your life. As the runs get longer, I had to add ice baths and do nothing Saturdays 
where you're just so literally exhausted after that run on Saturday morning that you go take your ice bath and then go lay on the couch and don't move for the rest of the day. The same can go for your financial life and goals. Any tough financial goal takes years to achieve. In this, it's so much longer and more difficult than an actual marathon. I'm not a runner, like I've already said. But if I can train and get to marathon distance, you can too. But if you're not measuring your distances, if you're not measuring your runs, you're going to have a very unsuccessful marathon training. You'll have no idea if you're on track, off track, or even capable of achieving it. When you don't measure your distance when you're running, you quit when you get to the hard part. Some days, you may end up actually going further than was planned or further than was on your training schedule, but other days, you would come up well short. Measuring helps you know where you are and in, in your progress, but it also shows you how it's possible. It keeps you encouraged. As I mentioned earlier, you never actually run the full 26.2 miles before the marathon. I'm not sure what the magic is in running 20 miles, but every training plan I've ever seen stops at 20. I think it's just the mental thing of getting over that hurdle of the 2-0 mark. You stop at 20 so that you don't overexert yourself, but it's close enough that on race day, you can make it that extra 6.2, which 6.2 is a 10K distance, uh, is extremely intimidating and hard for people who have never trained, but it's amazing how your perspective changes once you've gone on these long runs. That 6.2 is not intimidating anymore. By running 20 miles, it's a reminder as you try and make it to 26.2 that you've done this before, that you're capable of completing the job. There are a few things to reflect on when it comes to the goal of training for a marathon and that help us understand the framework of goals in general. The first, when training for a marathon, you make a schedule. You start with your long-term goal. What you're trying to achieve is successful completion of 26.2 miles. For some, they'll even have a time that they're trying to obtain it in. I wasn't at that level. I wasn't trying to achieve a specific time, but those that run in the Boston Marathon and uh, these marathons around the world, they have to get qualifying times to be able to get into those marathons. Then each week, you have a schedule for what you're supposed to run and you have daily action that you're supposed to do to continue forward in your training. So you have a long-term vision, but then you also have short-term action. When setting goals, I like to start with a long-term vision that could be 5, 10, or say 25 years down the road. When you look at your ideal life, what does it look like? It's then from that frame that you back into your goal for the year. Most people get goals wrong because they focus on the short-term desire that they have. They focus on the immediate weight loss that they want, not the benefit of that weight loss in 20 years. If you framed weight loss as helping you be able to sit on the floor and play with your grandkids, that's a grander vision than just wanting to look nicer tomorrow. We need to view goals 
in a long-term vision, but I also have a framework to follow with each goal that you set. It's not my framework. I won't claim that. And it's been all over the place, but it's by far the best framework that I've seen. And this is known as the SMART framework. It's broken down into uh, an acronym. S stands for specific. M stands for measurable. A stands for achievable. R stands for relevant. T stands for time bound. So specific is going to be something that's significant, but very concrete. Measurable is going to be something that you can put a, a number on that you can somehow determine if you've actually achieved that. It's going to be something that's meaningful and something that's motivating to you. A stands for achievable, and that's something that is actually within your reach. So you don't want to set goals that you know that you have no chance of achieving in that goal period. Relevant is something that's going to be relevant to the results that you are desiring. It's going to be realistic. It's going to be relevant to your life. And then time bound is going to be something that's going to have an end in mind. So a good example of this is, uh, I'm just using weight loss because it's a common goal. You want to lose five pounds in the next 30 days. Now that's a short-term goal, right? But it's specific because you're uh, specifically saying how much you want to lose. So it's giving a number. It's measurable because you can measure your weight. You can get on the scale consistently and figure out if you lost it. Five pounds is achievable for a lot of people. It's it's right in that sweet spot. It's hard enough to be motivating, but it's not too hard that it's discouraging. Uh, relevant, it's relevant if your goal is to be in better shape. That's a relevant goal for you. And then 30 days makes it time bound. So that's just one example. I'm not going to break down the framework any further than that because if you desire to learn more about that framework, absolutely think you should go look it up. It's There's a lot of resources out there. It's used all over the place. To recap real quick, we want to look long-term and then bring our goals short-term. So we want to set goals and visions that are out there for us in a framework of five to 10 or even 25 years. And then once we understand where we want to be at that point, we then back into a one-year goal or a shorter timeline. One year may not even be close enough, but I talk in framework of years. And then from that year, I then back it down into what I need to get done each quarter. So I go go even further and closer to the day-to-day than a year. And then once we've done that, we want to make sure that the goal matches this SMART framework. Let's get into some financial goal ideas, and then we're going to talk about them in this context. I've broken this down into 10 different uh, types, and it could types, maybe subtypes, of financial goals that you might have. The first one is you could set income goals, whether this is getting a certain raise, finding a new job, or making money from a side hustle. Income goals can be extremely motivating, but we want to be careful. We don't always have control over our income. If you set a goal for getting a specific raise percentage, you could fail even if you do all the right things. So a better goal would be this, 
I will prepare a list of my accomplishments, an in-depth salary comparison, and meet with my supervisor to discuss it. So this is specific, and because you're going to provide a list, you could even say I'm going to provide a list of 10 accomplishments. I'm going to pull a salary overview from salary.com, and then I'm going to set a meeting with my supervisor. We want to get specific because that is going to help us make it more achievable and know whether we've been successful or not. If you're searching for a new job, it could be setting a number of job applications that you are submitting uh, or contacts that you want to make. Remember, we can't control whether we get that job, but we can control the work that we do. If you have a side hustle, it could be that you want a certain number of social media postings or you want a daily habit to create. You're going to write every single day. And so you're going to make that a habit for you. So those are some examples of income goals. The second type of goal or the second goal that you could set related to your financial well-being is a goal to stick to your budget. This is what we would call a habit goal and it's creating repeatable action. So this could be once a week, setting a time to review your expenses and stick to your budget. So it's something that you're creating a repeatable action that is going to allow you to then over a period of months and then a period of years, find success in sticking to your budget. The next one is an iteration of that, but it's setting some sort of spending goals. Spending goals are really powerful, especially when done with a spouse, because there is a built-in accountability with that. It could be reducing your grocery uh, or eating out numbers. This means closer tracking throughout the month and communication on where you are so that you don't overshoot it. This could look like the envelope system. I've heard a lot of people do that where they say we're only going to spend $300 this month on this specific thing. So they stick that money in an envelope. If the money's gone, then they can't spend any more. This is a great goal to set. Another great framework to use with a spending goal is, for example, we're going to use eating out and say you want to reduce your eating out every month from 600 to 400. At the end of the quarter, you, if you've had three successful months, you can reward yourself with a night out on the town. So if over those three months, you save $200 a month, so you say $600, then you get to spend 100 of that on a special meal. It creates motivation uh, with a reward that works especially well with for a married couple, but then helps you avoid burnout because there's something that you're shooting for. There's a gamification aspect of that goal. The fourth type of financial goal would be a savings goal, and this can take the form of saving for a vacation, a big purchase like a car, college. Uh, there's there's a lot of reasons that we would put a savings goal out there. It could be just trying to get to your emergency fund number. Savings goals uh, is an amount that you want to save each month or by a specific date in the future. These are pretty self-explanatory, so I'm not going to dig into this any more. Number five, you could choose to up your saving or investing percent by half a percent or one percent each month. So say that you're not where you want to be with your saving or investing. 
a way to get there would be to slowly increase your savings rate or investing rate along the way. This is great because if say you set yourself a goal of saving 20% of your income, today it would seem super intimidating to go from 0 to 20 or 5% to 20%. But if you just increase your savings rate by half a percent or 1% per month, If you give it a year at half a percent, you'd be now saving 6%. At 1%, you'd now be saving 12%. And in two to three years, you would reach your goal savings rate. And all along the way, you most likely wouldn't miss that money because it's such a small difference in a month-to-month basis. You can obviously set this percentage at any number. You uh, You could even set it as a dollar amount. But it's a great way to ease yourself into a goal that you have. Number six, we want to build an emergency fund. So if you don't have an emergency fund, this would be a great financial goal to set for yourself. This is an iteration of the earlier two savings goals, but it's such an important goal that I felt like it was important enough to mention on its own. We want to build a three to six month emergency fund based on your bare bones expenses so that you're prepared for a job loss or big unplanned expense. I talk more about this in one of the shorts, so I will leave that link in the show notes. Financial goal number seven is we want to set a goal to get out of debt. So if you have school debt, house debt, consumer debt, we could set a goal to get out of that debt. Debt goals are extremely common and something that all people should be shooting for. It's about figuring out what you can afford when plowing all your extra money towards this high interest debt. There's two different ways to go about paying off debt that are very, very common, and that would be the avalanche method or the snowball method. The avalanche method is where you put your debts in order of highest interest to lowest interest, and you pay off the highest interest first. The snowball method is where you put them in order of size and you pay the smallest one first. So say you've got a debt that's $100 and a debt that is $5,000. No matter the interest rate, you would pay the 100 off first. And then once you got done with the 100, you would apply that payment to the next debt payment and you continue to work your way up the ladder. People have a lot of strong opinions about these methods. I would say my favorite way to go about it is to combine them. I think the momentum that's created through the snowball method, the excitement of paying something off, psychologically it does something. So I would say for the first debt or first couple debts, you use the snowball method and then once you've paid those off, you can switch to the avalanche. The reality of it is, is that if you are committed to your goal, it shouldn't take very long to pay off that first debt. Financial goal number eight, have a weekly meeting with your spouse. So you can set up that you want to say, have 40 weekly meetings with your spouse. This would give you something that's achievable because you could miss 12 throughout the year and it allows you to plan for your future. You could review your budget as well as review your schedule for the week. 
I talk about this in my ebook, Money and Marriage, what me and my spouse do for our meeting. So if you're interested in that, I will have a link to that as well. Financial goal number nine, you could create a trust or will. So this is a one-time goal. This isn't an ongoing thing, but it's important that we plan for our future, but it can also be extremely intimidating. So you might need some motivation to get this one done. So by making it a goal, you're creating the motivation to complete the task. By creating a trust or will, if you happen to die, you're leaving clear instructions to those that you've left behind. During a time of stress, you don't want the added financial stress on your spouse or children to have to go through the legal proceedings, to have to go through the complicated process of dealing with it without clear instructions. And the last, number 10, the last type of financial goal is a giving goal. Giving goals are great because they stretch you and they make you make sacrifices that are not just for you, but they're for other people. We've set giving goals in the past and will continue to do so. They're a great way to be motivated in a good direction to make more or save more and have the added benefit of doing good and making you feel good. So you could choose to give a specific amount to a charity. You could choose that you want to increase your percentage over a number of years. There's a lot of different ways that you can go about trying to achieve a giving goal, but any way that you do it is going to be a huge blessing to the organizations that you are supporting. While this list is not completely comprehensive, I feel like it's a pretty good sampling of some types of goals that you could set for 2022. Hopefully one of these triggers something that will motivate you in 2022 to improve your financial situation. I love to hear what your financial goals are for the year. So reach out to me on Twitter or via email at curtis at delveintomoney.com. As a quick recap, let's talk over this one more time. When we think in terms of goals, we want to think in terms of vision and then break that vision down into shorter timeframes. Once you break it down into a shorter timeframe, we want to create goals that are following the SMART goal framework. I want to encourage you in this. Do not get discouraged if you hear huge goals from others. When you train for a marathon, it takes weeks to get to the longest distance. When you train financially, it takes years to get to your destination. It's all about getting started and then staying consistent. Consistent action wins the day. That's it for our episode today of the Delve Into Money podcast. Next week, we're going to get back to our regularly scheduled episodes. We're going to be talking about the book Redeeming Your Time by Jordan Rayner. I'm super excited for this. We're actually breaking this down into multiple weeks and we're taking lessons and going to dive deeper on those lessons. So I'm excited for what is to come with that. I want to thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're not subscribing, I would love if you, you could subscribe and share this with someone that could gain value. 
Until next week, remember, healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Intentional decisions this week lead to a healthy financial future. Start today, and we'll see you next week.